The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to week two. Uh, That's a great question. Last week was a great week. Um, Welcome to those of you online. It's good to have you here with us today. I'm going to let these guys do a real quick introduction for those who may not uh, have been here last week or didn't attend online and haven't seen you, and they're like, what the heck is going on? So we'll start with you, Rich. Oh, okay. Uh, My name is Richard Rose. My background is I have degrees in theology and psychology, and I'm a certified industrial psychologist. And I tell people that just means I have an informed opinion, and that's about all it's good for. (laughs) And uh, just uh, at the church, I've just been honored to work with the staff on a lot of different things and focuses, and and, uh, really love just being here. I enjoyed last week with these guys and love how... The, uh, the iron is sharpening iron with the great questions that everyone's having, so. Uh, I'm Pat Butler. Um, my, uh, I guess since we did degrees, mathematics and statistics, undergrad and grad, um, and uh, grew up here in the area, and my, I guess my qualifications for this sort of thing is I grew up under a dad who taught the Bible a lot and uh, uh, lived out Deuteronomy 6, and uh, that's the one where it talks about when you, know, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you go by the way, always be uh, teaching and sharing the word. Um, professionally, I, I work in software and um, uh, mostly in the defense and intel community space. And so was out in Boston and D.C. all last week. Uh, just got back Thursday night um, doing fun stuff like that. So designing like the craziest systems in the world now to figure out all that's going on out on the internet, so. Pat's a really smart guy. Um, he, he's the only person I know, we were in group one time, we were talking about something, and he referred, as an example, he referred to the periodic table of elements. <laughs> like, what are, who does that? Uh, and none of us knew what he was talking about either. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, um, so if you have a question, be thinking of getting, getting ready. We have a few that were submitted um, via email, and so we're going to roll through those um, fairly quick, and then we'll open it up to you guys and uh, deal with questions that you may have. And if nobody asks a question, we'll ask each other questions. How's that sound? All right. So the first question uh, that was, uh, it was actually the first question that came through this week is, why don't you take up an offering during service? And so we're going to take an offering right now. No. Uh, so let the, we used to do that. We used to pass the plate. And, the, and so the answer is we do. We receive offerings. We just don't pass the plate anymore. And that came about uh, during COVID. We, we stopped passing the plate and we noticed, hey, we're having to do an extra song there. That's taking some time. What if we just bought that time back and didn't take an offering anymore and just trusted that the Lord would, his people would do what they needed to do and the giving has done nothing but gone up and so the plate's in the back and people give that way. I do, sometimes people come uh, on the way out, people who give by, by check they'll, they'll, or cash or something, they'll have an envelope and they'll say, what do I do with this on the way? And I have to point it out or um, I take, them, take it back to the, the counters and give it to them. Um, a lot of our people give online, and so uh, that's kind of why, is that logistically it made more sense for us, saves a little bit of time, 
and uh, we can get into the Word, and we believe God's people will be faithful and, and give as they're um, supposed to as in their obedience to Christ as a sacrifice, and they've proven to do so. And so we uh, thank you for that. We encourage you to do that, and that's why we don't take an offering. Well, that was that. So I've got my question. <laughs> Here's your guys' question. Right, this one came through from uh, Michael Vaughn. He's here to, with us this morning. He says, he sent this email and said, God is, God is all things good, full of light, and that no darkness can invade. I've been reading 1 Samuel 16, 14. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. He will, he will play, referring to David, he will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. And so this is about when um, Saul is going through this turmoil and this is kind of when David serves Saul, he's summons to go and play his harp. And through that experience, uh, what did we miss? What did y'all miss? And what's wrong? Your mic died right at... Yeah. You want to take the pack or... Sorry about that. Don't let it happen again. <laughs> um, so... Uh, <laughs> so anyway, David comes and he, he ministers to him uh, through through uh, music or playing his heart. And, and so the question is, how does this, this evil spirit, um, how can God have an evil spirit? I'll, t I'll start this one. Uh, you know, the, the, the question was right. We, we know that God is always good. And so when you have a verse that says, and I'll just read it real slowly, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. So what is that? that? That's the question. How does that work? Because we know God has no evil in him. That's actually one of the foundational things of our, of our faith. And, and so uh, I, I want to just read two other passages that I think uh, address this question. Um, before I do, I'm, I'm going to just make... make Two com or one comment and say a quick prayer. And, and the comment that I want to make is, why do we ask questions like this? You know, why, why take the time? And I, I think a lot of it goes to, to, A, to give people a chance to uh, voice things that concern them in the word and uh, help them realize or recognize the truth of God's word and get excited about it and not, you know, any parts that might be confusing them, uh, give them confidence in their faith. And, and the, the other reason would be um, to know that God's word is sufficient uh, for life, to know that we can uh, go to God's word with almost anything and find answers in here. Um, I'm going to say a quick prayer and then read a couple other passages that I think address this. Lord, I, I pray that you'd speak through uh, Jimmy, Rich, and I today, and just uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, we love your word, and we hope people get excited by it. And uh, pray that we could do justice to uh, explaining these passages. Uh, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to read two other passages. 
I'll, I'll tell you in advance what I want you to look for. There isn't, notice even in the verse, if you turn to 1 Samuel 16, 14, it's the spirit of the Lord left Saul. Now, today with the Holy Spirit, he's in us permanently, and that's a, a different thing in the Old Testament and New Testament. But this is an evil spirit from the Lord came upon him and not of the Lord. And, and I want to give some examples of, of what that looks like. So I, I'm going to, you know, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to the beginning of the book of Job um, because it is, uh, you know, about a little over halfway through. Um, and if you know the story, uh, wealthy, righteous, great family, all going well, and that's, that's where we take up the discourse in verse 6 of Job chapter 1. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So the sons of God are the angels. And there's good and bad angels coming before God in this story, not just the good ones. Uh, the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And then it goes on to describe all these bad things that Satan does to Job. Basically, a tornado kills his family. Uh, another fire wipes out some stuff. Like, his life is destroyed. Um, but the question is, how did that come about? Who drew the attention to Job in that story? Notice it was God who said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I, I really am scared of that passage because I hope that God's not ever saying, like, Hey, Satan, have you ever looked at Pat down there? Like, that would be scary. That sounds terrible. But the net of the story is, is that God uh, directed uh, and allowed Satan and put parameters around it and didn't allow him to kill Job, but did allow a lot of bad stuff to go on. And one very similar passage to this, one more that I just want you to look at um, from the book of Judges. And again, you can read this one on your, your, your own uh, later on, but it's Judges chapter 9. And there, if you know the story of the book of Judges, there's always like this ruler who rises up who's pretty good, uh, and then the people fall away after that ruler dies, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and they come under bondage or turmoil as a people falling victim to some foreign land, and then they cry out to God, and God raises up a ruler. Now, you've all probably heard of the story of Gideon, and, and um, do you know what happened late in Gideon's life? Some guys came along and killed all of his kids and took over uh, the country. And, and Abimelech was this guy. So if you take up in Judges chapter 9, 22, it says, now Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. 
Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech so that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might, might come. Jeroboam's another name for Gideon. So God allowed enmity to rise, basically directed like, stood back and let evil spirits come in and create conflict between Abimelech and these men of Shechem because they had conspired together to kill Gideon's uh, kids and take the power for themselves. So God stepped back and, and let these things happen. So the answer in the end to this question is, there is no evil with God, but at times to perform his will he steps back and lets the, the evil spirits. Sometimes he's even directed or drawn their attention like we saw in the book of Job. Think even about the, the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Uh, God let Satan come in to Judas to betray uh, Jesus. That fulfilled scripture. That was critical to us. None of us would have our sins forgiven if not for Jesus on the cross. We had to have Satan and those evil come in and, and do that. But I can, you know, it's a, a tricky question, but that's how that works. It's not God wasn't, it wasn't his evil spirit. He steps back and lets some of these evil spirits act. Yeah, I think that's really important distinction. It's similar to uh, God is not vindictive. He is looking for a repentant heart. And so when Saul is, is continuing to move against God and out of his will and then defies God, that's where God takes action. Just like a judge, if you come before him and, you know, for reckless driving, he may... Uh, suspend your driver's license. That's um, to get you to stop, pause, consider, and literally repent from your reckless driving. If you get pulled over with your license suspended, I don't know what all, you can be, go to jail or get more tickets or go before the judge again. And, and it's going to be another enacting of punishment because of your disobedience. And God is similar in that, except for an earthly judge can be vindictive and arbitrary, and we know God to be neither vindictive nor arbitrary. When he's, when he's um, in relationship with Saul, and Saul continues to defy him, then that's when the spirit, it says, moves out of Saul. And God is bringing his judgment on Saul, not as a way to get him back. It's as an act of love to say, I want you to return into relationship. I want you to be repentant. So even though he, he has this evil spirit that is now plaguing Saul because of his disobedience, he still has mercy and grace. And he then sends David to play his music that calms him and, and allows the evil spirit to, to move away from Saul. Saul is continually choosing to go further and further into sin rather than taking the option of saying, God is still here. God is providing. David provided a, a music 
that God was allowing him to then to help Saul to have a better choice, a choice to choose back in to a relationship with God. And so when we see, and it says, like you said in um, Judges chapter 9, God is over the whole spirit world and, and uses it out of love to bring his children to him. And that's where we see this enacted in other places, Job or, or in other places uh, with, with uh, Saul and even David and consequences there. So um, it's, it's not that God is embodying evil, to answer your question directly. It's that he embodies love and wants that to be the catalyst of coming people coming back into relationship. I like answering questions with Rich because he's a very, like you can see his gentle, kind, loving spirit come through. And so he's, <laughs> at, he's absolutely right. And it reminded me of one other passage worth thinking about in this context. And that is in 1 Corinthians, uh, um, there is a situation going on in Corinth that's uh, really bad. And um, they've got a guy in their congregation who's, uh, sleeping with his mom. That seems like a bad problem, right? And Paul uh, finally says, you need to send this guy out of the church and let, let him to Satan. It actually says that. Satan buffeted him so that he might return. Uh, there comes a point where you let the bad deal with it and let the consequences fall out. And then, uh, as we see in 2 Corinthians, the response was, we did what you said, Paul. Uh, are we allowed to let him back in because he seems to have repented? And Paul's like, yeah, of course. Yeah, if, he, if, he did, if he's repented and turned from that, yeah, you welcome that, that guy back in because if you've turned from your sins. So the point being uh, that in this case, letting Satan buffet someone, as it says in 1 Corinthians, was for their own good to draw them back. Now, not everyone does. Saul didn't. That guy in 1 Corinthians did. Yeah. Um, back to what you said, being an expert in one of the things you brought up, I can tell you um, in 1989, I was pulled over with a suspended license, and you do go to jail. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> the only clarifying. time I ever went to jail. My dad came and bailed me out, and the first thing I did when I got paid was paid him back and said, if that ever happens to me again, come get me. Like, I'm good for it. Like, it's terrifying. A anyway, um, so I would say uh, I think you guys are right. Um, what I would add is even the devil is God's devil. Like it's the devil is not an entity entity unto himself that creates. He is a created being, and he was created by the same God that we serve, and he is permitted to roam. Um, and and in our yielding to God, we are bringing glory to God. And and we see in this story, we do see uh, when you contrast Saul. And David, you see a yielded heart and a, uh, a rebellious heart. You don't see a perfect heart out of either one of them because in David, we see sin, but we see him coming back and repenting and consistently posturing himself toward the Lord and the Lord bringing him along in the journey and using him. And we see 
Saul continually posturing himself away from the Lord. And as, as you referred to uh, in Corinthians, Paul, and I don't know if it's that same passage or if he's talking about Hymenius and another guy, and he says, I give them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, um, which is very strong. And, and so there, there is, when we walk in disobedience to the Lord and rebellion to the Lord, even as children of God, though the Holy Spirit indwells us and we have that seal of the Holy Spirit, we will be disciplined and chastised for that. Like the Lord will, the Lord will execute um, consequences in our lives as his children. And sometimes he may allow some, some evil because that's what we're listening to. Um, and to, to bring us back. And so like, I, we, we can be comforted, you know, sometimes we could be afraid. Um, the devil can incite a little bit of fear. Um, we got all this, the Hollywood, you know, has a whole segment, a genre of, of stories around um, Satan and his power. He's God's devil, right? Um, and that doesn't, so I think we need to, yes, we need to understand that the evil spirit from the Lord, I think is an, it is to be interpreted, hey, the Lord is permitting things. He is not the thing. Because all evil, like it, it, I think this is good for us to, to comment on this a little bit, is we go, well, why did God create evil? Because that's, that's one that hangs people up. He didn't. Like evil is not created. Um, God created everything perfect, out of nothing, ex nihilo, he created something, everything perfect. And you can't have evil without first having good. And so all evil, it doesn't matter what evil sin you come up with, it will always be a perversion of something good. And that's what makes it evil. So it's rebelling, rebelling against what God originally created and designed something for and we use it for something different that's when evil happens right. yeah what one other clarification because i remember regina in uh one of the services last week saying i i'm worried that this could be interpreted this way so i'll, I'll give one other thing in the case of Abimelech, the evil spirit, or in the case of 1 Corinthians, the evil spirit that came, that God allowed to operate, that God permitted to operate, came as a uh, result of those people doing evil things, as like a punishment or as a way to draw them back. In the case of Job, Job hadn't done anything wrong, uh, and yet God permitted it to demonstrate something else, to demonstrate that... Um, well, a number of things, but it's one of the key lessons of Scripture is not everything bad that happens to you is a punishment for something you did wrong. And I just want to make sure that everyone knows that. We don't want to, like, leave you with the impression, man, this really bad thing just happened to me. Okay, what did I? Now, sometimes it could be. So it's not a bad thing to ask yourself, what evil might I have let into my life that could lead to this? But sometimes God is teaching things for a variety of reasons. In fact, Jesus, there, you remember the, the blind guy where the, the disciples said, you know, why is this guy blind? Was it something his parents did or something he did? And Jesus said, neither, but so that the power of God might be displayed and he, he healed. So there can be bad things that happen when 
no fault of your own. There can be bad things that happen through fault of your own. Uh, in all cases, God is good, and we turn to him and seek him. Yeah. Very good. All right, great question. All right, next question. Um, all right. Hello. I had a bit of a multifaceted question, and it's a tad long. All right. Romans 3.20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And a few verses later, Romans 3.31 says, If we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So my question is, what's the dissonance between no longer being bound to the law and fulfilling the law by faith? They seem to cancel each other out because if we're no longer bound to the law, why would we need to fulfill it through faith? Now, that's a great question. And this sometimes comes up, uh, it's an example of where it looks like the Bible may be contradicting itself, or even Paul may be contradicting, con contradicting himself. Um, he was even told that uh, and accused of being one uh, who was Jewish and then discounted the whole law and the Torah and all that because of this Jesus guy. And, of course, we already know that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so what looks like a juxtapositioning of two scriptures, just, you know, 10 verses apart, um, this is where being a student of the word really can come into play. Uh, when you look at uh, the word law in chapter, in verse, uh, what is it, 20, and it says here that, um, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And what, what is being said there, nomos is the, is the Greek word for law. And uh, in this, there's a coupling of nomos with another, um, another archetype uh, about the prophets. And so we have this a prophetic imagination that's tied to the law. And that's where it becomes more of a declaration. Whereas in uh, verse 31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? This does not have a coupling. This is just standing of the law, which is the covenant, the Torah. And that means that Paul's actually referencing the whole law of the Old Testament. And when he does that, it's really a good idea to put it in the context of the day. Paul is there. Think about being there 2,000 years ago, and you're speaking for Jesus on his behalf to do what? To bring people to understand he's the Messiah. And you have two giant factions. You have the Jews who have the law and the Torah, and they, they, they have lived it to the letter. And that's their whole goal and concept of the law, is that they live it to the letter. So they look for perfection. And that provides opportunity for them to draw closer 
to God, only by the doing. And you then have Gentiles. And the Gentiles are like, well, we don't know that law. We don't believe all that. We didn't grow up Jewish. Um, And so why do we have to fulfill a law that was given to the Israelites? And that was part of the question that was being asked. And so Paul is, Paul is set with the position of, I want them to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, a high priest. He has come to fulfill the law, except the, what the, the Jews forgot and missed the mark on was that it's not through the doing of the law to a perfection level that draws them close. It's through faith. And that's where they missed it. That's why Jesus came back. They were, they were you know, you got to take your, your backpack with you on the Sabbath and you can only go several many paces because that's what the law dictated. Otherwise, it's considered work. And they really took it down to this level of really illogical absurdity. And no one could fulfill the law in the way that the men had attempted to define it so they could draw closer to God. So what are they left with? We have faith that fulfills the law. The importance of the law doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His laws are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we we live by faith to serve and fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. The atonement of the, of the substitution of Jesus Christ, it substitutes for our sin. So therefore, we don't have to be bound to the legalism that, that was promoted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What we are now bound to is relationship. So when we're talking about, well, you know, to one, he's talking about the law and nullifying it, and the other's fulfilling it. So what's important? Both. Nullify the perfectionist tendencies to be a doer and focus on who you are in Christ by faith. And also know that the law is there to speak truth to give us understanding, to provide direction, to give us context, because the Old Testament is full of gold nuggets of the nature of God and who he is in relationship to us. So there's no discounting that. So again, I do bring it back more relational that the fulfillment is only through faith. And so it's it's not an either or. It's an and. The law is fulfilled through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why he wants both camps to understand your sin is no greater than their sin. And God is the same. And he provides you different venues and avenues that lead you to one point in time. And that's to the uh, sacrifice and the atonement of Jesus Christ for our sin. So, it, it, I, I want you to think of one law in the Old Testament uh, about not bearing false witness. Don't lie. Okay. 
Um, just one, one of many, uh, is do not lie, okay? Has anyone in this room successfully lived their life to this point without lying one time? Okay. Does that mean the fact that no one raised their hand, I, 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 does that mean like that was a bad law because everyone failed at that? And the answer is that law in the Old Testament was designed to point out one very clear reality, which is that we all fail. And if I listed all the laws, I mean, we just listed one in this room's claim that they've all failed. Now, somewhere, someone's going to go, I never lied. Okay, now, they're probably lying when they said that. But <laughs> if they're not, maybe they, they haven't, okay? But across all of them, they will have failed. And that's how Romans 3.23 gets to the famous verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't care which it is. Now, what Paul's arguing is, therefore, we're never going to be justified by the law. If the standard is perfection and the law, if I look at it in whole, just one of them here, you've all failed, then we've got two options. Is God's grading scale, well, if you're generally on the better end of that, you're okay? And the answer is no. That's why it says, you know, he... he yeah, all, you fall short of the glory of God for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, the, the answer is that you're not saying the law is evil just because everyone failed at it and just because by failing at it, we're fall out of a relationship with the Lord. The answer is he sent a savior who did fulfill that law, who didn't lie, who didn't steal, who didn't kill, who didn't do any of those things. He fulfilled it, and through faith in Jesus, we can have our sins, our failures, paid for on that cross. And thus, when he, he's asking at the end, in verse 31, do we then nullify the law through faith? Meaning like, are we saying that the law is bad? Are, are we saying it doesn't matter just because we now live by faith? And the answer is, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. The law, it's still, you know, he's, he's not saying that lying therefore is great. In fact, he goes all the way to do two big illustrations. Chapter four of Romans is all about, let's look at Old Testament history. Were you saved by faith or by the law? And he goes through example after example that says, you know what, they were saved by faith. It gives the example of Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, it says. Then it gets all the way to chapter 6, and he says, now you may be thinking, well, if I can just have any sin forgiven, then maybe I should just keep sinning, because I can be forgiven for anything. And he goes through a long reason why that's not true. So he's not nullifying what's right and wrong. It's that Jesus fulfilled it, we can't. Therefore, we need a savior, period, end of story. That's the answer. We need a savior. Every one of us has fallen far short of the, the glory of God. We need a savior. Fortunately, we have one. Um, so I, I don't think they, they don't cancel each other out. They actually complement each other, faith and the law. And they're necessary. Both are necessary. And we feel like... Well, since Christ, the law should be done away with, and we don't really have an obligation to it, yet in the question the person asks, we're called to uphold it. 
And so how does one go about upholding it? Um, and just, so just to kind of jump on what you guys have said um, about perfection and, and different. Some, some men like to talk about how good they are. Others like to talk about how bad they are. Some talk about both. Believers admit they're guilty and call on Christ. So when a believer, a believer doesn't talk about their goodness, a believer doesn't talk about their badness, this is sending me to hell, and they don't talk about their goodness and say this is sending me to heaven, they talk about Jesus, and they admit they're guilty, and in that, in that moment, um, the, the King James uses this word, we don't really have a good word for it, um, it's propitiation. In that moment, there's a transaction that happens that I believe in Christ. My sins are propitiated. They are put on Christ. And there, we go back to the law, and the law teaches us that there was a, a time where there was a, a scapegoat, and the, the priest would go and lay his hand on the scapegoat, and all the sins of the people would be transferred to that goat, and it would be taken and let out, whatever happened to it, is separated from the holiness of God. And so when we think in terms of Adam sinned and he hid, he ran, and God pursued him, believers are, are coming back. They're no longer hiding. They're admitting. And so in that when, when we admit, when, when we move from this, I'm not talking about my badness, I'm not talking about my goodness, I'm admitting my guilt, then all of a sudden, in that moment, this is what we call being born again, bam, in an instance, the righteousness of Christ becomes operative in my life. All of a sudden, I'm righteous. I wasn't righteous, and I just became righteous. Why? Because I believed and called upon the name of the Lord, and I was saved, and my sin was propitiated. It was put on the scapegoat on the cross, and it was removed. And so now, um, every time that, that I'm, I'm walking in that, I'm not walking in how good I did. I'm not walking in how bad I am. I'm walking in my faith in Jesus. I'm upholding the law. Every time I do that, every time I believe I'm upholding the law because Christ fulfilled it. And so the law is fulfilled in Christ, and I'm upholding it through my belief. Even when I'm rejecting sin, and I'm like tempted by sin, and I want to walk in that sin, and I feel the struggle, and that enemy that is against me that we were talking about in the previous question starts to draw me away, and I resist him, and he flees, and I draw nigh unto God, and I don't um, disobey God, I posture myself toward him, then the law is upheld. I'm not doing the law, but because of my faith in Christ, the law is upheld in my life because the righteousness of Christ is constantly on display in my life, not based upon what I'm doing, but what I'm being. And that's, that's so the, the law and the and faith, they don't cancel each other out. They complement one another. And without the law, we couldn't have faith because we wouldn't even know we were bad. Like the law is telling us, you're broken. You can't do it. You need help. And, and this is how it comes. Now, the next question rolls right into that, uh, or it's kind of, uh, you know, in the 
in the same vein. Um, it says, is circumcision an outdated practice? Um, is, is it only for those born Jewish, or is it for every man that is part of God's family? And do parents have the right to circumcise their baby boys since the babies um, can't consent? Okay, and so I want to start with the, the last part of the question um, from a parental side and say parents have the right to do that because they're their children, right? Like parents have the right to do a lot of things in a kid's life and without waiting for consent. I'm not waiting for consent on whether or not I tell you to go to bed or brush your teeth or anything. I brought you into this world. I will steward you as a soul that has come into my home. That's what you were talking about, Deuteronomy 6. That's my job. That soul came into this house, and God said, I'm going to bring that soul into this, this world through this family. So Jonah and Joel and Faith and, and Caitlin and Zoe, they all made their way into the world through the vehicle of a relationship, a divine union between Abby and I. So we are stewards of that. And when we walk along the road, when we sit down, when we eat, we're all, as we're going along, we teach them about the things of God. And, and so it's not about, oh, I'm going to wait and see if, if Jonah wants to choose whether or not he loves Jesus. Jonah don't know how to choose anything. He doesn't even know how to clean his rear when he comes into the world. I do that for him. Well, Abby did most of it, right? You see the point? It's like, so we have to, like, we have to understand, no, we receive, and one of the reasons, I think this is a great example. You're sitting on the couch today because your dad did a good job understanding his role as a steward of a soul. Now, so I get to do the parental questions. You guys can deal with the circumcision side. All right. Well, uh, this is an, a fairly straightforward one in that if you go back to about 60 A.D., it was the very first church council that ever existed where all the leadership of the church got together to talk about an issue was this question. So I find it very interesting that here we are in the year 2023 and open it up for questions. And one of the questions we get is something they were wondering in the year 60. Exactly the same question, which is, so what about circumcision? Now, if I go back to 60, um, the only people that were circumcised were Jewish people, and everyone else was not, okay? That's obviously different than America today, okay? But if I go to 60, where Jews were circumcised, everyone else was not, that was like literally one of the clear, obvious distinctions. As Gentiles began to become believers, there were those saying, you know, you do have to get circumcised. And it's a lot different when you're eight days old than if you were accepting like right now at your age, if you're a guy in this room. And so the Gentiles were like, are we sure this rule applies? Okay, uh, and it's really an important one because it gets into this fulfilling of the law versus not and how does it apply, right? And so, um, and just pick up in Acts chapter 15, just a little bit. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren and, and they came down to Antioch. On your map, that's going north. In the Bible, when you see going down, it's usually from a higher spot to a lower spot. So down from Jerusalem, which is a high mountainous town, to Antioch, which is near the sea coast up in what today would be Lebanon. Uh, saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, I mean, a big argument started. And Paul and Barnabas said this was wrong. And they argued for a long time. And then it was decided, you know, we're going to send all of the two sides to Jerusalem, meet with all the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem and have them tell us and decide. And so they meet. They have big debates. Uh, finally, Peter gets up and agrees with Paul. And, and James does the same. Uh, and then they write a letter um, and the conclusion of the letter is, it is our judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, meaning trouble, the obvious trouble of pain, uh, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication, sexual immorality, and from what is strangled in, in blood. Otherwise, go, go forth. And so it was concluded that if you were a Gentile, you did not need to be circumcised. And in fact, elsewhere in the Bible, it teaches you. If you came to know the Lord as an uncircumcised person, fine. And if you came while circumcised, that's also fine. You don't need to feel one way or the other. Now, over time, flash forward, it's become both for health, cultural, and probably some level of Judaizing. That The term Judaizer means those who try to enforce the Old Testament law on the Gentile Christians as they came to know the Lord. So through health, culture, and some probably persistent Judaizing teachings, it's now pretty much, you know, at least when I was a kid, all the guys were, were uh, circumcised. Um, so the question comes down, should I? It's up to you as a parent. Does the Bible say that you should? No, it doesn't. Okay, if you're a Gentile and a non, you know, you're, you don't need to be circumcised. That was the clear teaching. That doesn't mean, you know, for cultural health and other reasons, it's not an okay thing to do. Totally fine. In fact, Paul one time took Timothy. Now, this is for a different reason, but Timothy, who was a half-Jew, half-Gentile, had not been circumcised, uh, but becoming a leader in the church, and it became a big enough issue with people complaining that Timothy wasn't circumcised that Paul went ahead and had Timothy circumcised. That was a pain to Timothy. He didn't like that part, I'm sure, for a while. But it was so that... All, you know, the idea was, I will, become all, I will become all things to all people so that I can reach all for the cause of Christ. Timothy was willing to go there. It might be necessary at times, but that's not the teaching. The teaching isn't, therefore, we should all just do that. No, they were fine. The Gentiles, it says at the end of the story, when they got the letter saying they didn't have, have to do it, there was great rejoicing at the church in Antioch. And I bet you the guys were especially happy with that, and that's the end of that. Exactly. All right, good. Uh, so yeah, there's no 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 uh, expectation from God um, that that we engage. It's a circumcision of the heart. That's what you need to be concerned with. It's says spiritual. It's 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 what we were talking about in the previous question. Now we made it through the questions that were submitted in um, via email. Uh, it's ten o'clock. We'll take one question. All right, come on. And while you're thinking of your question. The, the goal is we will start some form of ministry. Maybe it'll be once a month on a Sunday evening, and we'll do something like this. You come with any questions you ask. At that point, we'll just open it up anytime and just let you dive in. Hello. 
Go. Can you hear me? All right, good. Uh, question kind of is in relation to the Christian life and disobedience and obedience, kind of like the whole theme you've been talking about this morning, but in regards to making big life decisions. So uh, go this way or go that way. Is there a right or wrong way to go? Um, and kind of what does the Bible talk about about that? Yeah. Uh, so I'll give my response and... Um, and then you guys can add to it. So we are to, one thing I would immediately respond to that is Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing. Okay. So, um, your question is about the will of God and how do we determine, um, whether or not we move forward or, or we don't. Um, and so I think sometimes, um, there is a, there is an answer where God's like, I don't mind. You, a or B, right? And I think sometimes it's that, that, that way. Uh, but I think f- most of the time we can get pretty uh, good clarity on all kinds of issues. Um, the Lord will, what he uses, I, I call this the prayer of peace and confusion. The, the word teaches us that God is not the author of confusion. He's a God of peace. And so I pray uh, about things and um, when I've and I ask Lord, if you want, if you want me to do this, if you want us to do this, then continue to give me peace. Every time I think about it, let me have peace in my heart, which comes from the Holy Spirit, not just a peace of the world, but but the peace of the Holy Spirit that I can recognize. Hey, I f- I feel peace about this every time I think about it. If it's something that you don't want me to do, Lord, every time that I think about it, um, let me feel chaos. And I'll be able to determine if my chaos is increasing, I'll be able to determine this is not from the Lord. He would not be making me feel this way. He's allowing me to feel this way so that I can determine what it is that he wants me to do. And I'll give you uh, an example, uh, a recent example. Um, I'm following a John Deere 636 standard mower right now on Marketplace. And I want it. Like, I could reduce my mowing time by like to 15 minutes. Plus, I, like it's just an amazing mower. Like I, but I'm praying about it. Lord, um, help me to make the right decision. If this if this is a good move for me, then let me have peace about it. And so, so I'm not there yet. So um, there's part of me though that's like, oh man, somebody else is going to get this thing. So, but you know, I need to rest in the Lord until I can have peace and go. No, the Lord wants me to have that. Then I, I, He's given me permission to go forward. So I think that's 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 how I navigate through. Is I'm I'm being really sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm reading the Word, and I'm praying on a daily basis, and I'm looking for the Spirit of God in that dwells in me to give me peace or allow me to feel confusion. And those two things are how I determine. Um, just about everything in my life, from the leading of the church. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm rambling, but you, you know, I got the mic, right? The pickleball courts that we've talked about, right? <laughs> so we have the money to do this. Um, we're going to build a playground. Uh, and so I've met with the advisors. They've given me the go, go ahead to, um, to develop a project plan. And so 
I literally made two offers on playgrounds that I saw, and they were great deals, and both of them fell through. And I have hit pause on the whole thing right now. Like, I, I just feel in my soul right now, I'm like, I don't, I'm not saying we're not doing it. I just feel a little bit of a pause. And, and so I'm like, I can't lead the people forward. And it's like, there's part of me that's like, well, people are going to start asking and go, well, why haven't you done anything? And so I feel a little bit like, you know, well, I, you know, people are wondering what's going to happen. The reality is I'm, I'm trying to discern the, the Lord leading. And so I open up and tell you guys, like, this, this is how we ended up building the crosses, by, like this right here, is I made a statement like that and said, we're a little confused. We, we don't know what to do right now. And people started joining in prayer. And the next thing we knew, we had the funds to do it. So it's a little bit different situation, but just, just know, like I'm, I'm reading where the Lord is giving me peace and I'm not feeling any hesitation whatsoever. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes there will be, you're never going to get to a place where you're not a, there's no fear. There's, there's always going to be some courage, um, that's, that's necessary. And so, I call this, and we talk about this a lot in, in, in the advisory board meetings, is balancing faith and foolishness. And you can get in the Proverbs, man, and it talks about faith and talks about foolishness. The foolishness, the fool this, the fool this, the fool that. And so sometimes we can make decisions that would be absolutely foolish, and we shouldn't make those decisions. Sometimes we make decisions that the world would look at and they would think it's foolish, but for us, it's actually exhibiting some faith. And the Lord never asks us to be foolish, but he does ask us to have faith sometimes. And so we got to wrestle in that tension, lean into the peace, pay attention to the confusion. And when at some point we go, this is what the Lord wants me to do. And we pull the trigger and we watch the Lord show up and, and teach us along the way. I hope that answers the question. I don't think I left any time for you guys, but I'm feeling better this week. Yeah. And I don't have to use the bathroom. There's no way I would answer the question that long if, I, if it was last week. But Just read, read James real quick. At the end of James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do that, this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. This is the key verse. Therefore, to anyone who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. And so I would simply say, seek God's will. When you know what he wants you to do, even if it's scary and seems crazy, you do it. And if you really want to do it, but you have this little pause in your heart, wait, wait. Because there's a lot of things that seem awesome and cool to us as people that are not God's will. There's a lot of things that he wants us to do that, uh, that we know are right, but are scary. Do the thing that we know he wants and, and seek with all your might uh, to, to know that. And, and one scripture, and then Sean's up. No, you get on my Oh, are you? Okay. Um, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this goes exactly to your question. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if we want to understand his will with this decision to make, then it simply says to uh, not conform to the mindset of the world, but be transformed, not changed, doesn't exist, transformed by His Spirit, by the renewing of your mind. And that's here, not here in the phone, but in, in Scripture. It's in Scripture. Renew your mind, be a student of the Word, and then you will prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's great. So may, maybe I'm going to rec recommend a book for you and anybody else. I gave, I gave this book away last weekend to somebody. It's called Sacred Pace. And this guy does a great job. He's a businessman. He's, not, he's a layperson and very successful uh, uh, company owner and, and oil. And Tegzon, I think, was the name of the company he founded. And uh, anyway, that's a great book for making these decisions. The second thing I would say is, as we go into this time of decision, maybe some of you are facing some decisions. That's kind of why we have this time. It's like, it's a good physical time to come and before the altar and lay something down. And if you're feeling a little hesitation or a little fear about something he's asking you to do, you pray about it, ask somebody else to pray with you. Uh, maybe there's another decision you're wrestling with in life. Maybe you want to give your life to the Lord. Um, this is a great time uh, for that. But we'll close in worship. I'm going to pray for us. And if you want to come during this next song and pray, I'd certainly invite you to do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a time to be able to jump into some questions. Um, we thank you for this new ministry, Lord, where we're going to have more opportunities for folks to come and, and just talk about the Word and and. Um, how to be obedient and glorify you with our lives. And so we thank you that the word has an answer for all of our questions. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to yield to it. And by doing so, Lord, uh, and, and listening to you and believing in you, we, we actually are upholding the law, Lord. And so we're, we're grateful that you share your righteousness with us in that transaction. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Christ's name, and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.